Welcome to The Mend, a podcast dedicated to victims and survivors of crime and community members who are wanting to educate themselves on services and different um, organizations relating to victims of crime. This podcast is sponsored through the Center for Crime Victim Services. Uh, you can find it here on Mad River TV, YouTube, and also on Apple Podcasts. And we would love if you would take time after each episode to please give us a little review or rating. As I said, this show was created to take a deeper look at services and organizations and concepts for victims and survivors of crime. We wanna acknowledge our healing process and provide resources not only in our state, but resources that might be applicable throughout this country as well. As always, I like to begin with a trigger warning. Uh, sometimes we do discuss topics that are a little bit more sensitive in subject matter, share stories, talk about our own mental health, so I always urge you to listen at your own discretion. Today, I'm delighted to have Mary Ashcroft here uh, with the Vermont Bar Association Legal Access Coordinator. She manages and constantly hunts for money for the VBA's statewide low, pro pro low bono programs. These programs use grant funds to pay reduced fees to private attorneys who help provide critical legal services to low-income Vermonters and crime victims. Mary also co-facilitates the VBA Vermont Law School New Attorney Incubator Project and assists with attorney training and mentoring. Attorney Ashcroft has maintained her own solo practice in the Rutland area for over 30 years, concentrating in family, real estate, land use, and estate law. A firm believer that lawyers ought to be the pillars of their Mary has served in many state and local positions at local government positions and on nonprofit boards and committees. She was recently reelected to her town select board. Attorney Ashcroft is a native of Vermont and graduated from UVM and the Catholic University Law School. She was admitted into the Vermont Bar in 1979. When she is not volunteering as a guardian at Lightham or working with scouts, on merit badges, Mary can be found searching for elusive goats on her family farm in the Rutland town. Thank you so much for being here today, Mary. Thank you, Anna, I appreciate it. Yes, we've been looking forward to this interview for several months now, but due to the pandemic, we finally got the time. So it's great to have you here um, to discuss a subject that's very dear to my heart, which is law and lawyers do um, and educate people um, around some of the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So can you start by sharing with us a little bit um, about how you were drawn into law and becoming a lawyer and how it shaped your life? Yeah, thanks. Well, I grew up in Bellis Falls and I guess I one reason was I went to town meeting all the time with my dad and heard arguments back and forth and lawyers making points and thought, gee, you know, that's interesting stuff. I really want to be involved. And then there are the um, opportunities to help folks. I mean, that appealed to me too. And I was in my day a bit of an environmentalist and the lawyers always kept getting in the way, I thought, of progress. So I thought I'd join them rather than battling them all the time. Awesome. Yes. Keep your enemies close and your friends closer. <laughs> yes. Oh, I think. Um, 
<laughs> so, you know, as we start to kind of talk about your work, let's, I want to love to just kind of start with the, some of the foundations of what lawyers do, which mm -hmm. might sound like a very, you know, generic question, but I'm going to kind of base it off of my own experience as a victim of crime. Um, when, you know, I started filing police reports years ago, dealing with the stalker in my case, I didn't know what actually happened to those police reports. Yeah. And so one day to prize a prosecuting attorney called me and said, we're going to prosecute this. I didn't know what a prosecuting attorney did. I didn't know that I didn't get a choice in this. Like I didn't know any of these things. Yeah. And so, you know, I think for a lot of people who are victims of crime, you know, we've got trauma going on, but we just don't know the legal system. Mm -hmm. So if you could just kind of share for us a little bit, um, about, you know, what lawyers are doing specifically for victims of crime and in general and how that process works. And I mean, I'm talking victims of crime from, you know, whether it's petty theft to a sexual assault, like really anything in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's actually two sets of attorneys um, here that you were mentioning. I'm in the set that's a private attorney. Um, I represent folks who have usually a civil matter or a family matter or a probate matter. And they hire me or for free in some cases, I represent them in one of those courts. Prosecuting attorneys could be state's attorneys um, in the county, or they could be uh, assistant attorneys general. And those folks are public. Um, they are paid by the state of Vermont and they prosecute people who are accused of crimes. Now they um, don't, they, their role is to see that justice is done, to bring the facts forward in the case, and let a jury decide, usually a jury. Um, so two different roles. People sometimes hire private attorneys to go in and represent them when they have been accused of a crime. Um, sometimes, because they can't afford a private attorney, a public defender will be um, representing representing them. And the public defender is also paid by the state. So two different groups of attorneys. Now, private attorneys, all, all attorneys really practicing in Vermont um, are subject to the rules of professional conduct. And one of the rules, 6.1, um, encourages us, it doesn't require us, but it strongly encourages us to do 50 hours of pro bono work every year for people who can't afford to hire us. And many of us take that very, very seriously. Um, so that's where my program with the Bar Association comes in. Um, I recruit lawyers, I remind them of rule 6.1 and their obligation to work with people who can't afford to hire them. I do some training for them and I, get some money, um, what we call a low bono stipend. It, it isn't anywhere near what a lawyer would get, but it's some money so that they have a little something to start a case and then often they will finish it pro bono. So two different kinds of lawyers, but we're all subject to the need to give back to our community by doing pro bono work. Awesome, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> I think it's something that, like it just, everyone's like, oh yeah, we know what everyone, like how the system works. It's like, sometimes we don't. And so it's really valuable to be able to have someone like you break that down for us. Um, what are the different ways you've kind of started to talk about this? Um, what are the different ways that the legal process can work for victims of crime? 
um, to protect them, to seek justice. Um, yeah, just what are the, some of these, especially like if victims, if there's a victim of crime and it's not going to be prosecuted by the state, so there's going to be no prosecuting attorney. How can somebody still feel like they have some sort of justice and closure and accountability held for the crime done against them? Okay, fair enough. Um, keep in mind that the prosecutor may decide to not to prosecute a case because the standard of proof they have is so much higher than what we have in civil court. So a prosecutor has to convince a jury beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime happened and that the accused has committed the crime. That's a very high standard. And unless they have strong evidence, they sometimes will decline to prosecute, even though they believe the victim and they believe that something bad has happened. So I know that's an enormous disappointment to victims. So what can they do in return? Well, um, let's take the no stalking order example. Um, if there's not enough evidence, or sometimes even if there is, the victim also chooses to get some relief in civil court by getting a protective order or a no stalking order. And that is um, now something that is provided under state law and the victim will file an affidavit with the court. There will be a hearing, the accused will have a chance to respond. And that's often where we see requests for uh, low bono attorneys come into my project. And we will often provide an attorney to the victim to go to that final hearing and to get the no stalking order. Another type very common of um, protective order is a relief from abuse order. That's usually among uh, people who have had a romantic relationship <coughs> or family members. And in that case, um, the matter is brought in family court usually. So two different ways victims can protect themselves even if the prosecutor doesn't have enough evidence in criminal court to move forward. Does that help? That's very helpful. And I think really good for people to know that, you know, there are other ways to be protected, to have justice, to have closure that don't necessarily have to just be the state and that you have this amazing program that's there to help them. Um, it's really incredible. Can you tell me how the uh, low bono program started? Uh, we started about 12 years ago, and it wasn't with crime victims. It was with uh, in one county, down in Rutland County. And the court clerk there had noticed that there are certain types of cases where uh, one side would almost always be represented by a lawyer, and the other side would not. Very common example are landlord-tenant disputes. So um, she applied for a grant. Terry Corsones is now head of the Vermont Bar Association, and she was a court clerk at the time and applied for a grant and got the grant. Two of them, actually. The first one set up a low bono pilot project to provide attorneys um, with a little bit of money to go in and help tenants in landlord-tenant disputes. The other grant funded my position way back when as a part-time attorney to help run the program. So um, that's how it started. We expanded to all of the counties in Vermont. We kept getting grant money. That's the, you mentioned in your intro that I'm always out there looking for money and that's very true. Um, so we expanded not only to all counties in Vermont, but we started looking at what other 
groups of people need help. And of course, crime victims came to mind. Um, we were approached um, by the Vermont Center for Crime Victim Services and worked with them in a partnership, which we have since put together. And I'm sure you've talked with other partners. And now what we do is one of our groups within the partnership will try to cover um, pretty common cases that come in for crime victims. Uh, the Network Against Domestic Violence will help. Um, Vermont Legal Aid, Legal Services Vermont, How Justice Will Travel, Disability Rights Vermont, and the Vermont Bar Association. We are kind of the, when everything else fails, call Mary and see if she's got somebody. Um, there are cases where the organiz other organizations are conflicted out because they might be representing the other side. Um, there are cases where they just have such a heavy caseload that they have to pass it to me and I try and find a private low bono attorney to take the case. We are at a crunch time, I will say that. Um, last, last week I had to send out 17 letters to people who wanted a low bono attorney. I just couldn't find attorneys for them. So there's a large unmet need. So if lawyers are watching and they want to sign up, they should be in touch with me at the Bar Association. And I've got cases for them. Yeah. Awesome. All those lawyers, call Mary. <laughs> we'll give you her email at the end. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, do you feel like the, I mean, obviously we're in the time of a pandemic. Do you feel like that need is really rising right now during this time or what do you, would you attribute that to? It's a mix. Um, some of the cases that we started with, the landlord-tenant cases, we don't get too many calls right now because um, there's a moratorium on evictions, right? right. You know, there are exceptions to that, but we don't, we don't hear as many of those. Um, we do, though, see, um, we hear from clients uh, who have lost visitation rights because their child happened to be with the other partner or the other parent when the pandemic hit and everything was shut down. So we're beginning to see cases now where parents are um, moving to enforce orders of parenting so that they get more time with their children or they get that time back. Or in, unfortunately, in a number of cases where Victims have been with their abusers shut down in the house and they're seeking a protective order to get the abuser out of the house and keep the person away and keep safe. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I was assuming you were going to be saying. Yes. Um, yeah, that's really a challenging time for everyone. And I'm so glad that you all are there and doing your very best to serve as you can. It's incredible. Right. We need that. And really incredible just how all of the agencies and organizations and different groups in this state work together to provide some sort of legal service for individuals who need it. It's really, I've been very inspired by that. Well, we're pretty proud of that. And we've become a, a nationwide model, which is kind of easy to do because we're so small. We all know each other. We all call each other by first names. And um, it was really pretty easy to put together a group. Um, and the uh, crime victims folks go out and they talk, you know, go to conferences. Well, not physically right now, but they participate in conferences and they hold up Vermont as a model of what 
other states can do, other communities can do to pull organizations together. Most of the cases I receive come from Legal Services Vermont, one of the partners. They do all of the screening and they determine which organization can best help the individual and send them on to me. Awesome. And it's so true. I mean, we do get to be a model that can be shown nationally. I mean, in our response to COVID, in how all these agencies work together because of our smallness, but it really is a model that can be taken to any state and put into place. And I know that's one of the reasons I'm so very proud to live here in Vermont. And yeah. Me too. Yes. Um, So as we kind of shifted, just talking a little bit about how you all approach working with victims, because that's Mm -hmm. really important. Um, You know, I'll go back to like my very first when I was asking, explain what lawyers do. Um, You know, back in the day for me, like I get this call and it's a prosecuting attorney saying they're prosecuting case. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I'm in a crazy place in my head because everything's happening And so I'm just curious, like, how do you all approach from a a victim-centered practice within your work um, so that you're really able to educate victims, inform them, understand the complexities of where they might be at um, as you work forward in the case and assisting them? Yeah. Um, We listen. I think that's the first thing that... uh, an attorney working with a victim needs to know how to do. We listen, we, you know, make sure we respond, we feedback. Um, These are not easy. And often the victim will be victimized um, because he or she may have a disability of some kind or may stand out in the community in a way that just increases the victimization. So we have to um, try and present you're okay, we're, we're here to listen, we're here to problem solve with you and figure out what it is that you want. Uh, we may not be able to solve all problems and so troubleshooting and problem solving is part of what we do. Um, we need to be honest. If we don't think that a change in custody is going to happen based upon what we're hearing, we need to tell the victim that. If we don't think that what they have for evidence about a neighbor stalking them um, is going to allow them to get a no stalking order, we need to say that to them. So being honest, um, listening well, and being encouraging. I mean, this is hard. And one of the problems with being in a partnership and referring clients around is that the, the victim has to talk about what she's been through many times before she finally gets to someone to take her case. And that's got to be difficult. And I know, I know people have stopped and not gone further because it's just too much. So um, one other thing that the Bar Association has done, every two years, uh, we have had what we call the pro bono conference. We take over the state house and we set up um, day long training sessions and panels discussing everything from how to defend a tenant in a landlord-tenant case to how do you work with victims of trauma and crime victims. And just two years ago, we we centered on that topic. And we had folks in from the Center for Crime Victim Services, Kara Cookson came, 
and taught us how, how better to work with people who have been through the trauma of being victimized. And it's everything from don't sit behind the desk, go sit next to the person when you're talking with them. Um, listen, let them talk, let them tell their story, um, and then be realistic and encouraging. So those are a few things. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more. Um, and we always can learn more. So any tips you have, we'd be happy to hear. <laughs> well, I'll come present at that conference anytime. <laughs> I'd love to. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think like a lot of what you said, is it's, it's a managing of expectations as well. Um, and, you know, for me, the last couple of years working with an entirely different prosecuting attorney, like he came from this really incredible victim-centered place. And I had already been shifting my field, my career into this field. So I really immediately picked up on that. I would just, the language he was using, um, you know, things like asking me how I wanted to commu be to communicated with. Was it email? Was it phone calls? When did I went updates? Um, he really, I felt like he put me on the same level as them like as the different legal people that were in the room, like he really brought me to the table. I, I always call them my team and I'm part of that team. And that made such a difference for me because it really empowered me. Mm -hmm. I you know, it was like, this is, you know, this horrific thing I'm going through, but like I felt really empowered because I felt heard and I felt seen and I felt like I had voice and agency and, and that was huge. And it sounds like you do a lot of that, as well as the managing of expectations, which is absolutely such a big component of not being like, of course, we're going to win this because we don't know. And yeah. yeah. No. So I think that's really, I really like what you have to say about that. Um, you know, when it comes to, I think we've, when it comes to these crimes, you know, whatever we're dealing with, um, what are some of the barriers you think that people face when, you know, they're trying to step into this process towards justice when either it's a police report or contacting a lawyer and how do, how do you think people or lawyers in your role can help people overcome these barriers to continue the fight? Cause it might be a really long arduous road to get to any kind of justice. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, Lawyers need to understand first that victims of crime are faced with so many other things. Um, you know, they might have lost money because they were defrauded in some online scheme and they have to deal with how they're going to pay their bills and how they're going to, you know, get their food for their kids. Um, and maybe the last thing they want is to hang around a bunch of lawyers going to court listening to or going to depositions, having to give evidence. And that could be very low on their list of priorities. So um, I think the lawyers need to be encouraging. I think we need to explain the process and, and maybe not all together, but in bits. This is the next thing that's going to happen. Here's your role in it. Here's why it's important for you to tell your story here. Who's, here's who's going to be listening. Here are the people who can ask you questions um, so that the expectations are clear. I wish I could say, you know, for every crime, a time a crime victim has to go to court, we would provide an attorney, but that doesn't happen. 
Um, there are some great organizations out there. Have Justice Will Travel has the LEAP program, which um, empowers the, the victim to know what to expect, to have all of the evidence ready, and to go in and represent herself in court. Um, crime victims who do that, who represent themselves, are incredibly brave and incredibly strong. And whatever we can do to support them is, um, it, first of all, we acknowledge just how much it takes. So good for all of you out there who are doing this. Absolutely. And thank you for standing by us in the ways that we need it. Um, so I think that this is a very interesting question I've been thinking about a lot, like in the last year or so, but what does justice mean to you? I, it's different for each one of us. And I'm just kind of curious what, what, what it means to you for, for the people you're working with um, and for yourself. Yeah. Well, let me start with the people I'm working with. Um, when we close a case, and it's often a crime victim, um, I will send a questionnaire to them asking, so how did the process go? Did, did you get what you wanted? Was your lawyer respectful? Um, did the lawyer explain what was going on? And I try and find out whether, and then I invite them to make comments. And some of the more, more striking comments that I've received back in, in 12 years centered around something, something like, well, I didn't get exactly what I wanted, but I felt like I was heard. So maybe that's what justice is. Maybe it's the balance of you get your day in court, you go before a judge who's impartial, who listens, who weighs the evidence, and your story is heard, and maybe you don't get exactly what you want, but you had the chance to see justice done. And, I, I, and that, for me, I think, is a reflection of it. Um, justice is getting that day in court, is being part of the process, is making sure that the evidence gets in that needs to get in. If there's a settlement to be had, and often cases are settled, um, then it's fair uh, to everyone concerned. And sometimes, you know, we say if both sides walk away grumbling, um, then it's probably a fair resolution because, you know, both sides got not everything but something. So justice, yeah, I, I think it's uh, getting your day in court, being heard. I agree. Being believed. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That it doesn't necessarily... Justice isn't necessarily a jail sentence for somebody or a huge amount of money for you. It really is. It's being heard and being believed. And I think that that begins the healing journey for so many people. I years ago did a case for an acquaintance. Um, it, it was a, he was injured um, in a relatively minor injury, but still he was, he was injured and we took the matter to mediation and the mediator said something to me, and this made a lot of sense, that my client had a chance to tell his story, and the mediator heard and reflected back. And once my client felt that he had been listened to, he was very willing to move on and settle the case from there. And I think the listening and being heard is an important part of what justice is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it means knowing that somebody cares. 
Somebody cares about the, the injury. Somebody cares about the fraud that was done against us. Somebody cares about, you know, whatever it is. It, it's a huge part of that. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you are just so committed to living out your work in your community through all that you do. Um, how do you how do you think this impacts community members, former clients, potential new clients that you'll work with that you're you know, you're very public and your work is who you are. Um, so how do, it's an odd question and I ask it for a reason, but I'm curious to hear your response. Well, it's it, I mean, any lawyer who's out there is um, going to get the question, you know, oh, you're a lawyer. Let me ask you something. And I've answered questions like that standing in line at the grocery store. Um, at the end of a Boy Scout troop meeting, I get questions. Um, and right now, oh, and the town clerk's office, you know, I, over there now trying to sort out ballots as they come in so that the, they can be entered into the system. Um, so if you're out there, you're approachable. People know you're a lawyer. They can ask you questions at a soccer game, you know, any of those things. So it, it, we encourage in our incubator project, which we have for new attorneys, um, the law school and the bar association help new attorneys get uh, a start setting up their law practices. One of the things we stress is get out into your community, volunteer, be seen, be a part of things. Yes, you volunteer to do um, pro bono and low bono cases, but you might also be teaching oh, the Four Winds program to your kid's um, second grade class, or you might be coaching, um, any of those things. Lawyers, um, the old saying was lawyers are pillars of the community along with what the minister and the doctor, okay? Um, but there's really some truth to that. If you're out there, um, you are part of the community and it's not just being um, in court or in an office. It's being committed to the folks that you live with every day. I love that and couldn't agree more. Good. Yeah, I mean, before I- crew you to come be a lawyer, you know, in Vermont, <laughs> you, can do, uh, you can read for the law. You don't have to go to law school. Um, you can do a, a law office study program and take the bar exam. And if you pass, you're a lawyer. So that is very good to know, not just for myself, but others too. There you, go. Um, you know, I was going to say before I moved to Vermont and was living in Washington, um, you know, whenever I would run into, because it was a very small community, just like we have here. So I'd run into the judge who oversaw the case years ago. I'd run into the prosecuting attorney. I'd run into the police officers and for me, like there was such a sense of peace because they had become my protectors yes. through this journey. And there was always something really, you know, they'd stop and check in on me and just ask how I was doing and, you know, maybe inquire about the crime as well. But it really meant so much to me when I'd run into these people because it was just like, I'm not alone. Yes. These, you know, even if we didn't get the justice we wanted to, I'm not alone. Like these people, they see me and it goes back to, what is justice? But yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, how do you, we're going to kind of wind down with uh, this last question. How do you envision the future of law specifically for victims of crime that we can have more victim centered practices within law? Yeah. Um, 
Well, let me step back and, and see how far we have come. If, if you think about it, when I first started practicing, we had just barely started something called a relief from abuse order. Um, and that had developed, you know, to protect people who were, um, well, we, we used to call them battered women. Then we realized that there are battered men and not all abuse is physical. It's psychological, it's sexual, it's emotional. Um, their control issues. So, I mean, we've evolved so far in that. No stocking orders were, were not around when I first started um, practicing law. They are now. Um, there was no crime victim center, I don't believe. Um, there are victims advocates now. I think that was just starting to come into, um, into being when I started practicing. So we've, we've already done quite a bit in moving toward the direction of protecting those who need protection. So where can we go from here? Well, obviously continued funding for programs. Um, my, the uh, low bono project for crime victims is funded right now by the United States Department of Justice. So Congress appropriates money every year for this purpose. So we're funded at a national level that's where the focus is. And that's, um, they have the biggest pot of money, so I'm glad of it. So um, that's one thing. And people who, I mean, every year members of the Bar Association visit with our uh, Senate um, congressional delegation in Washington. And we emphasize the need to continue funding for these very important programs. So I think what we're going to see is you know, continued funding and programs that evolve and maybe get into some of the programs so that we can assist with the counseling and some of the emotional health for victims as well, because that's important. Um, that Lord knows they've been through enough. They need as much support as um, they can possibly get. Absolutely. And I think you're so right to, to look back at how far we've come. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you kind of want to sit and sob when you think that 40 years ago, we didn't even really have relief from abuse orders. Like no. that's, no. yeah, yeah. We've come a training. long way. It's the training and, and in school programs now to um, teach children how to resolve disputes without using their fists. I mean, the mm -hmm. cycle of abuse is slowly, slowly breaking down and it's going to take education and it's going to take, generational approaches. And I think we're starting that. It's, it's a very big, um, big problem, but the approaches are multifaceted. And I think we're taking some good steps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing to make sure that those steps continue and the work you have done to put those steps into place in the first place. It's really an but honor to get here and chat with you today. Um, just thank you so much for educating us and for the work that you do for all the people here in Vermont. Um, if people want more resources or information, where would you suggest that they get those? Um, probably the best. Let me start with the intake number for the partnership that I was talking about. If someone um, is a victim of crime or feels that they are and they want some legal help a representation advice or just some general guidance, where do I go from here? Um, I would encourage them to call the intake number for, um, it's called Legal Services Vermont. And they are also one of the partners who take cases in. 
That number is 1-800-889-2047. You can also go online and look under VT, as in Vermont, vtlawhelp.org. So either way you get into the intake, folks, you're going to get some general advice up front. You're going to have a chance to talk with a lawyer briefly. The lawyer is going to outline some um, quick things and then quick steps that can happen, maybe help you draft a pleading, maybe point you to a form. And then if your case is one that requires intervention of an, an, an attorney, the lawyer at uh, Vermont Law Help will send you to one of the partner programs. So start with the 800 number, 1-800-889-2047. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mary. Um, I always love to close with just like one like little sentence or positive message that you have um, for those listening today who may be a victim of crime or are going through their own healing journey or know somebody in their life that is. Um, Do you have a little pearl of wisdom for us? Sure. I mean, if you're watching this program, you've already taken the right first step. Good for you. Keep going. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mary. Um, As always, for our listeners, if you have questions, feel free to email me, Anna, at standupresources.com. And if you'd be so inclined, please do um, send us a little rating at the bottom of the YouTube or podcast that you're listening to. Uh, That's it for this week on The Men. Thank you again, Mary. Uh, We'll be with you in a couple of weeks. Be strong, be well, and goodbye.